Welcome to the Joy Venture Podcast, a show where dreamers and doers share stories of discovering, developing, and spreading their joy with the world. I'm your host, Thad Devassi. We are excited to bring you the first of two episodes with Andy J. Miller, or Andy J. Pizza, or Dr. Pizza, whatever you choose to call him. He's probably best known as the guy behind the Creative Pep Talk podcast. flip the tables on Andy in hopes of understanding what makes him tick, including why do we need a creative pep talk and why he felt compelled to be the guy to give it to us. In this first episode with Andy, he and Jeremy stumble onto the issue of attention deficit disorder in their creative lives. Out of respect for this issue, we decided not to edit any part of this episode and just let the story unfold as is. You'll still be able to follow the conversation easily, and perhaps it'll serve as a reminder that we shouldn't be so obsessed with editing things out in hopes of fitting in. So, enjoy this first episode with our friend, Andy J. Miller. Andy, thanks for coming. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. It's awesome. Um, So... It's funny that the three of us are in this room again because we were all here, what, about a year ago? Yeah, it might have been. It was probably over a year. Over a year ago. And you came in to interview me for your podcast, Mm -hmm. and Thad was between meetings, I think, and so you were the interloper in my office (laughs) getting some work done. Yeah. Uh, Listening to your podcast. Listening to to me talk. Yeah. Yeah. The tables have turned. That's right. That's That's exactly it. That's exactly, we just actually said that right before you came. We're turning the tables. (laughs) The turntables. Yes. That's what Michael Scott says. The (laughs) podcast. Oh, how the turntables. The podcaster is being podcasted. Podcasted. (laughs) Anyways, that was bad. Uh, So, yeah, we just wanted to touch base with you and uh, just see how things are going with you. Want to learn a little bit more about kind of what makes you tick and how you got to where you are today. Um, I've had a chance to talk with you lots of times and I know that when we sit down for lunch or something like that, we both, I know I get a lot from our conversations. Yeah, it's always very energizing, lots of energy. So, well, before, before you go there, Jeremy, I'd like, I'd like to ask the really hard questions first. I mean, like really hard questions. Like why does Andy go by Dr. Pizza? <laughs> why not? That's the answer I always have. It's like, why wouldn't you? It's way why better not, like, than Dr. Ice cream or something. Mm, it's not as good. Pizza's. I I have uh, a remediated is maybe the right word relationship with pizza where I've <laughs> it's uh it's become healthy. It used to be an unhealthy relationship. It's its own food group now. For yeah, you. yeah, it's yeah. Um, it used to be like in college, I would try to see how many meals I could eat in a row of pizza. Um, and I still would do that if my metabolism hadn't, you know, crashed. So, um, so it's a genuine obsession, although more accurately, if you looked at my day to day these days, it'd probably be more accurate to call me Andy J salad. So 
but it's not as catchy. What, but you either. kick it with kale. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that I don't would... need a lot of kale. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. Miller is like a dime a dozen, and I just, I don't know. It's kind of snowballed now. So then you, then you must have an opinion on deep dish or thin crust. Deep dish, for sure. You yeah, really, I don't even, you, thin crust, I don't even really consider pizza. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't even Something give that else. a second thought. You just like dismissed thin <laughs> My crust. My dad though. always just assumed, like... My dad will order us pizzas when we go visit the grandparents, right? And uh, he'll get all thin crusts. And I'm like, do you know, they, they call me Mr. Pizza, like Dr. Pizza. And I've told you a billion times, no thin crust. Like, you can get your own thin crust. Don't, like, don't just, you know. What do you so, think about gluten-free? Some are good. Some are My good. daughter has a gluten allergy, so, you know. I'm so little, you have I'm, to say that some are good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have to keep up the ruse. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have to sell her on it. But um, no, I've had a few that are all right. Most, sometimes a lot of the ones you go out to restaurants and uh, it's soggy for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the science behind it. Because yeah. if you said gluten-free pizza crust was horrible and then your daughter listened to this someday, she would say, Dad, you've been lying you've to me lied all along. <laughs> <laughs> True. You've yeah. been telling me like, one this is thing. Just like regular pizza. <laughs> She's like, quit lying, Dad. See, I'm yeah. I'm a big fan of crispy thin crust. Or mm. or at or I I also like a good New York style. I like New York style too. We mainly can because on the New York style. it seems bigger than it is. Like the calorie per inch is really like deep dish. You're in trouble. Like right, we went to, uh, we just got back from Disney world and we had Giordano's. Have you ever had that? No, that's, that's a literal, just imagine of an actual pie. Like I'm not exaggerating actual pie, but the filling is cheese. And that's what those pizzas are. I'd eat it. They were good. They are good. Yeah. Well, now that we got Do the we important stuff out of the way, <laughs> I can keep going. Was that going. the only important question you had? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he's Dr. Pizza. I mean, it's like, let's just cut to the chase and figure out what the heck. He's an expert at this, right? I can keep going. Seriously. <laughs> so, should we just stop all pizza puns at this point? So yeah, you know, let's just like, move. Let's hear a slice of, actually slice of life from yeah. Dr. Pizza. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Okay. I can do that. I'll try really hard not to, at least. So, um, now that we've gotten the important stuff out of the way, yeah, you know, you're an art guy, true, right? And yeah. from what I understand of your life growing up, and if you want to elaborate on this a little bit more, art was almost a bit of an escape mm-hmm. in some ways. I think that's how it was for a lot of us. It's how it was for me in a lot of ways. I am interested in how the escape turned into a career. And then how the career kind of pivoted within the last few years into not just wanting to sit at a desk and create your art, but help others do it. I mean, your Mm -hmm. podcast, one of the things I love about it is that you really are giving away free advice. You're, you know, why a pep, why a pep talk? Why do artists need a pep talk? And I think maybe it goes back to that fact that art is a bit of an escape. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like, it's almost done out of a necessity and people don't understand it. I'm just interested in kind of start not not to overwhelm you with five questions in one. <laughs> but what's what's the? What, I started answering in my head about the, yeah yeah, yeah I'm sorry, ways, but no, they're so, all really good questions. Yeah, so start, just start us out with how how your you know your childhood obsession with drawing kind of became a career. Yeah, um, I think it all a lot of it goes back to uh, having 
ADD and I, it's some ADD is something that I feel like doesn't get talked about seriously ever. It's a joke to everybody. It's a, you know, it's a word that is used in a tons of inaccurate ways. It's kind of yeah. like, um, we use the word, um, what do they call it? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. There's a, there's a ton of like words in, in psychology that get thrown around bipolar, um, uh, there's just a billion different words that get used in culture in ways that are really inaccurate. OCD. OCD, yeah. Right. Things like that. And, you know, I think recently we've seen um, autism really come to the fore in, in society and get a lot of uh, awareness and, and understanding, and there's a lot of room for that. And I think ADD and ADHD um, really deserves its own moment. Because uh, I think for me personally, that is the core of almost everything that I do, um, going back to when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, my mom is ADD and she wasn't around. And I think I grew up in an environment that was very the opposite of ADD, very corporate. Uh, you know, my, my dad and my stepmom were just very uh, type A and just did everything right. You know, on the surface, at least everything looked like, you know, perfect. And I just couldn't do that. I couldn't do that for so many reasons. One, and the core reason is just, uh, ADD people have all kinds of weird challenges. Um, one of them being, and this is the one that I'm probably most self-conscious about, but it's actually a, a hallmark of creative people is that they're, they're bored easily. And boredom is like a cancer. And and that sounds extremely uh, privileged and lazy, but it's actually, um, it's a neurological fact for people with ADD. Like, and I would go to, uh, you know, my part-time jobs where, you know, I would be losing money because I'm distracted and I can't like, I just can't do all, I can't do regular things very well. And so um, I would be telling my dad like, uh, when I'm there, I feel physically ill. Like mm -hmm. I feel like boredom. And I didn't know it was boredom. I didn't know that was the way to, to articulate it, but it was um, things that are boring or make you feel sick. And I see it um, all the time, you know, in, in every person that I know that has ADD and ADHD, that um, running from boredom becomes an obsession. And uh, a lot of times especially in our, the way that our society is set up. Um, you know, our, our schools are set up like little factories and that it's from the industrial revolution and they've served tons of purpose and that's great. Um, but for people with ADD, um, it's a lot of opportunity for severe boredom. Mm -hmm. And so drawing was an escape and creativity is essentially uh, when you're bored, how can you get out of it by playing mind games with yourself or playing games on a piece of paper or whatever. So I think creativity initially for me was my escape from boredom. Um, and even at work, like when I would work at the movie theater and there would be downtime, I would just be drawing tons of pictures and drawing pictures for uh, the customers and just, you know, doing doing whatever I could not to be bored. And so um, honestly, I, I kind of always felt, even from a young age, doomed because I thought there's no way that I'm going to have a job that isn't boring, like severely boring. Mm -hmm. And so once I discovered like graphic design and illustration, I thought, okay, there are people in the world. I don't know how many of them there are, 
but there's people out there that make a living creating to a certain degree and maybe I will be able to thrive in that environment. Otherwise, you know, and this is me being completely honest, I kind of just thought I will be a bad person. It will be, it will not be a good life for me and I will not be, you know, I won't be a good dad. I won't be able to provide because I need um, to escape boredom. So <laughs> I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that's the truth. Yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I don't know where to take it from there. But. Well, I can totally relate right, because yeah. I'm ADD boy. I got oh, yeah, a big really? time. Oh, man. And right around high school was when they first started to call it a thing. Yeah. You know? And I, I whenever I have this conversation with people about ADD, my biggest problem is the second D. Right. Is that it's a disorder. And I right. actually don't think it's yeah. a disorder. Right. And I, yeah, I've toyed with that idea and I get where you're coming from. You can continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. I feel free. I've thought a lot about about that other (laughs) stuff. No, go ahead, man. No, no, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, I'm sitting over here wondering where this conversation is going because I'm not ADD. (laughs) He doesn't, right. Just let it flow, man. Just got it all over the place. No, I I think there's, there's something about, there are kids, I remember sitting in elementary school and watching kids in class around me, totally getting it, mm-hmm. and feeling like I was not getting it at all. Yeah. Yep. Like I felt through school like the world was passing me by, mm-hmm. and I got in more trouble for doodling in my notes than just about anything else. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. it's and I same. think you know it's a really mm-hmm. good point, and I you know wh- even the definition of a disorder, I'm sure you could you know parse that out into a billion different ways. I think suffice it to say what it means is in our current institution, these people don't fit. They don't fit. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it is exciting to see alternative schools going in. True. Um, opportunities for kids to maybe go to a high school where mm-hmm. they can like study sound engineering and art yep. as high schoolers. Yeah. I'd like to see more of that. And I think the other thing that I don't like about the idea of the attention deficit disorder is it, I mean... As a, as a name, it's very misleading because yeah. mm-hmm. um, it doesn't even have to be creativity. It has to be – the thing is whatever you're interested in, you actually have hyper-focus for. Right. You have a lot of – Yeah. You have too much focus. Right. And that's one of the – they say A lot of attention. Actually, it's almost that you have too much into attention that when something's boring, your attention's going wild and it needs something to grasp onto yeah. because – and that's what you know a lot of ADD people will get into like – smoking or drinking tons of coffee or whatever, doing two things at the same time to keep part of their attention busy while they're doing the other thing, whether they're watching TV and on their laptop. And, and I think, um, you know, it's, it's too bad that, you know, I think there's, you could point fingers at a billion different things, but, um, one of them is that the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies pushed the medication in such a way that it's actually overdiagnosed and so that creates skepticism and then it's a joke and then there's all these problems. But for those who actually deal with it, you realize that for people with ADD, um, being adult, an adult is actually a challenge, a daily challenge for, for lots of reasons, at least inside our institution. Do you still find it a challenge? Yeah, I do. I, I think um, most normal stuff is really difficult for me. And that's a great segue right there is um, that's why the pep talk is that. I, um, I think at some point, probably when I was about 18, um, realized that I started getting connected to, uh, spiritual resources and, um, all kinds of different, 
pep talks, d- d- all kinds of different ways of, of finding these um, things that change your perspective that, uh, that you can go back, you know, devotionals, things that you can go back to every day and, and fill your tank. Because for me, every day, the dumbest things are a battle. And I, it sounds like I'm exaggerating. I'm really not. And so like um, the creative pep talk is literally was just me scratching my own itch of like, I'm sure there are other people out there that haven't found the resources that I have that help me day after day, keep getting up, doing, you know, slogging through the things that are boring to me and, um, and that are necessary to make this a career and to thrive as an adult. Um, <laughs> I just, I, sometimes I, I can hear myself and think, but and it's all true. It's not, it's not a joke, but it's funny. One of the questions is why do we need to create a pep talk? Yeah. I mean, but you said something that I, I, I wasn't expecting you to say and hadn't thought that you would say, but the idea of a daily devotional it was like, yeah, I mean that, that the concept of devotional, if you keep coming back to the same word over and over and over again, yeah. because we're intuitively going to get off path. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I hadn't thought about your, your, the creative pep talk in that way, mm. that there's a need for us to be reminded that we're good enough, that we can make a living at mm-hmm. this, that your creativity does matter. Yep. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. And for me, uh, I've realized that uh, so Gary Shandling said that he's a comedian. Yeah, uh, was a pretty famous comedian. I never, kn- I didn't know him till recently. So I oh, always really? kind of, yeah, I kind of, I don't know if I missed, okay. I was kind of on Seinfeld train rather than the, the is it Gary Sanders show? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I never watched that. But, um, uh, he said that if you want to find funny, you find true and you try to find these truths. And then I've realized that, um, if you can find a truth that is inspiring, that can like fill you for a day. So like I'm always, every day, it's kind of like a daily bread of like, I need to find a thing that speaks to where I'm at right now that's gonna fill my tank so I can get through it. Otherwise, it's not gonna be one of the productive days. It's gonna be one of the uh, counterproductive days. So do you think that's part of your ADD and you are saying that, you know, creatives reach for coffee or cigarettes or whatever Mm. while you're working on client projects, do you have something playing in the background that's, that's mm-hmm. feeding that need or is yeah. that have, you have to do those two things separately or can you do those in conjunction? So, Sometimes I would say, um, I, I do a little bit of both what I try to do. Um, my best days are when I wake up before everybody else and I can have a routine and I can have a kind of alone time and read and, um, just be alone and think and, uh, Those days are always better. It's so annoying because if I don't do that, the day feels over, right? (laughs) As soon as I wake up and I'm like, oh, I woke up late and it's, you know, I don't have a chance to go. So usually it's at the beginning of the day where I will try to like get that boost and get my perspective right. And then throughout the day, there's lots of reminders like, you know, reading things, podcasts, um, stuff like that. If I'm working on uh, conceptual stuff, anything that takes ideas, it's only ever instrumental music, but if I'm doing uh, color coloring a piece or something, then I'm yeah going to podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, you and I are so much alike. Yeah. It's not even funny. <laughs> it's like I have. Yeah. There are times when I can sit at my desk, listen to a podcast or whatever, mm-hmm. and be totally fine because it's usually because I'm going through and editing through photos, mm-hmm. or I'm doing something that doesn't take the conceptual part of my mind. Mm. As soon as I switch to the conceptual side of my mind 
words have to go off. Yes. Yeah. But there are certain things I can't do at my desk and I got to go sit at, when I edit the podcast, I can't stand sitting at my desk. Mm. I got to go sit at Starbucks Mm -hmm. with my laptop and my headphones on. Yep. I don't know what it is, but by changing my environment and the, the inspiration or whatever is inputting in my brain at the time, mm-hmm. it can make all the difference in the world. If I get behind on emails, on. I'm like that. I'll have to go. If I go out of the house, I know I can blast them through. And I think uh, a big part of the podcast was like me trying to be self-aware and notice what gets me to the, what serves, what mindset serves the end that I want and being hyper aware of things like, I can't get that done if I don't leave my desk. I can't get this done unless I'm listening to podcasts. Like all these kind of like things that just maximize your potential. And I think, you know, if I do all those things, I become an, (laughs) I might be like, I think ADD people are maybe more uh, naturally creative, just generally like to be creative all the time. Um, But I think on the regular tasks, I'm definitely below average. And so if I can just you know, figure out all these tricks. They're all hacks of like, how mm-hmm. do I trick myself into being an adult? Um, so <laughs> another great segue, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. where your podcast comes in, mm-hmm. right? You're taking these hacks, you're taking these things that you've learned to help you cope and yeah. get over a yeah. hurdle, right? Yes, absolutely. Like, at what point in time did you realize you had a hurdle that you had to overcome and, and, and have to really focus on like trying to come up with solutions rather than seeing like, I should just be able to live my life like everybody else and there shouldn't be any hurdles and everybody else can do it. Why can't I? Like, mm-hmm. So I think the answer to that is, um, I was like, while I was going through college, I was feeling really optimistic and I, uh, I was, it was awesome to go to college in England. Uh, we don't have any general studies. That's part of the reason I went there because I don't want to do general studies. Um, and, uh, so I, I was doing general studies and or I wasn't doing any general studies. I had lots of time to think, lots of time to experiment. Um, I was doing, it was really, really self-generated. So I was doing all kinds of every, you know, if you weren't motivated and you weren't excited, then that school was going to be terrible for you. Mm-hmm. But if you were, it was like the greatest gift. And so for me, I was just uh, in the in the zone totally and like doing uh, tons and tons of work, super optimistic, really excited. And you know, from the time I started school to a year after school, the momentum was just positive. So like, so it's a three-year program. And then a year afterwards, you know, everything felt like it was going up that whole way. Mm -hmm. And I, and you know, I graduated, I had some lucky breaks. I got a few clients. Um, I made, you know, from June when I graduated to June the next year, I made um, more money every month than the month before. It wasn't very much money, <laughs> but you know, the first time you get paid $500 for a drawing, you're like, I am rich. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. but so I was like, so, so those four years after high school were at the end of high school, I kind of had like uh, a real conversion moment of turning around and be going from, I don't think I had any hope until uh, towards the end of high school. I didn't have any idea. I just thought, I got to get through. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Like, and I mean life. <laughs> like, I don't know how I'm, it's not, you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I hope something, I hope something lucky happens. Um, but then at some point, like 18, I really had like, I got serious, got inspired with creativity, graphic design, illustration, got really serious. Those four years got better and better, more inspired. And then, um, a year after I graduated, which was 2009 was like, um, 
where the economy had really hit the arts dramatically and um, the the you know the new blood fumes of graduating had wore off so like I was no longer new and uh, everything just and we had moved we spent all that money that I earned that year we spent a considerable size chunk of it moving back to the states from the UK and so the first year we were back and we were living in Indiana in kind of a small town um, I didn't get any jobs for like six months and uh, I and it was I think it was in that zone where I realized um, you know I, I had to get a different job and instead of getting a graphic design job which I'd had a part-time uh, I got a I didn't want to do like the I didn't want to do like page layout because I'm just not good at page layout and I didn't want to do like the junior level graphic design stuff that I knew I was terrible at and just bad as an employee like just generally like I will try really hard I will not be as productive as this guy um, if you give me I might be more creative or I might be able to do something totally different but I'm not going to be the same level of productivity so I didn't want to do that so I got into like social work um, and you know, it was like $12 an hour and I was just like paying my rent and thinking this is when I realized like I don't know how to get out of this because I, all that positive momentum, I got jobs, I got, you know, I'd worked with like Sony and Converse and I'd done an illustration, I had a portfolio um, and everything just kind of, that momentum disappeared. So I was like at the bottom and I always say this, this is like one of my canned things, but um, my rock bottom was turning to business books. <laughs> and like, like, you know, I was so like, what a sellout of an artist, like um, going to get business books. And so I was at, at that moment at the bottom, just feeling like, um, okay, I've got to get over these challenges where I'm not naturally fitting the, in this environment um, my brother's much more just kind of a normal guy. He graduated the same year I did. It was just kind of like, he had struggles too that everybody has, but he was just like, I'll get this job and get that job. And he's like working up the corporate ladder. And I was just like, it's not going to happen. So I have to figure this out on my own. And so that's when I started listening to marketing podcasts, listening to uh, business podcasts, reading business books, and, and also self-help things and trying to figure out different perspectives where I can be more productive, I can, uh, you know, market myself better and make things happen. So that's a long-winded answer. But the, the hearing you just go through that, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't be a good employee. Things dry up. The, the irony here yeah. is that you're giving <laughs> you're giving creatives pep talks. Yeah. When it sounds, when and either you know yourself so well mm -hmm. that it's like I I just know this about me that I won't be, or was it, or is there a level of I don't think I can. Mm. I'm curious between the delineation between knowing what I, you know, at the end of the day, you wouldn't found another job because you got to pay the bills, right? Mm -hmm. And, and True, so you yeah. did that. Um, but you knew within, within the creative realm that you didn't want to be this type of employee. You didn't think you'd be that good uh, yeah. uh, an employee at that level. So when you came out of college and you got those first few gigs, um, did you kind of know then that it's like, this is my career path. I want to do this on my own. I, I've got to, a unique vision. I've got a unique style. Did you, did you know all of that at that point? Uh, I didn't know exactly what those careers looked like. Cause I didn't know enough of people that had done them. The, the small, uh, the small 
group of people that I'd met that were illustrators were the people that gave, gave me that worldview to figure out like, this is what, to me, seeing that was like the first glimmer of hope of like, there is a way of existing that I know I could do well. And I think for anybody, that is the thing. And this is why I think representation of all types of people is so important because um, until you see someone like you thriving, you don't believe that you can, right? Mm. So like I remember the first couple of illustrators I met, I was like, and they're freelancers, and I thought the autonomy, not to goof off, but to do it in a way that's going to work for me, to be productive in the way that I need to be. Um, I, I am weird. I have a lot of like, um, in order to get myself to get it done and to get it done right, it doesn't fit super well into the corporate model. And like, and I could go into a billion reasons why I've, you know, self-analyzed that to a millionth degree, but, um, at some, yeah. So to answer your question at the end of uh, college, I had an idea that, that if I was going to thrive, it was going to be on my own. I mean, it was going to be, I needed that autonomy. Um, and I, and the, and I needed the project based work. I'm really good at that. Really good at someone saying, this is the deadline. This is the, this is the process. And I will get it done. Like I'm, I'm really good at that. What I'm not really good at is like the tasks, everyday's tasks. Here's the list of tasks. Don't ask why. Don't see the bigger picture. Like, and that's high school. It's like here's yeah. the worksheets, worksheets, worksheets. I'm like, why? <laughs> if you can connect me to a deeper meaning, and I could, all right, I'll go on billion tangents, but I could go into even why in neuroscience why I think that probably is is that we're more right-brained. In, and not in the not in the creative sense, but right brain just in that big picture way. Left brain not so much. Um, anyway, I'm going off on a band, big tangent. Um, but um, I knew that I needed to go that route, and so when I failed at that route initially, um, it was pretty devastating. That's why I think that's partially why I turned to social work was because I thought I can do this well. I can see the meaning in it, so I'll, it'll help me go to work. It'll help me to do a good job because I'm working with teenagers in a shelter. And so that was motivating. Um, and I'd already done a part-time graphic design job. I think I could be a little below average with 10 times the effort at jobs like that. And I was. Like, I think my boss liked me. He liked the work that I did. But he could have hired lots of people that would do lots more work like that way faster. Um, and so I, I, and I still believe that I think if I went into a regular studio agency, um, unless I was an ideas guy more, you know, on the, on the top and I had more autonomy to get things done in the way that I know how to get them done. Um, I don't think I look good as like a, as a employee at the bottom. I think I don't show up on paper very well. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I want to do a it's billion great. different things. It's good. No, that's good. Mm -hmm. I, so at some point though, you were working for working with youth, right? Yeah. But if I go to your website and I look, I see projects for Oreo and uh, Nickelodeon, and you know something happened. Like what happened mm -hmm. that got you from where you started to realize I can do this and I can be autonomous and I can make money doing this again? Like after that dry spell, how did that happen? So. Uh I think that the early stage, that momentum building up was all about 
kind of blind faith of like, all right, just making stuff, doing stuff, trying to figure it out. And like also beginner's luck. So all those things mixed together. Um, and then once I, all that dried up, I think it was a matter of taking matters into my own hands. It was like, um, okay, you've been given this and it's not going to take you any further. Now you need to figure out how to systematically, um, you might've been in the right place at the right time. And now you're at the wrong place in the wrong time. And you need to figure out how to take matters into your own hands and make stuff happen. Mm -hmm. And so the, the two things that I think changed everything for me was, um, one, I dug super deep and I just did a, uh, you know, a massive project of a daily project where I made a new character every weekday for a year. And it was a very strategic project based on the marketing podcast that I was listening to at the time. It was very much like content marketing of like, this is the type of work that I want to be doing. It's also going to help me to develop um, as an artist and as an illustrator. And it's also just going to be putting my stuff out there over and over and over every day for a year. And something is bound to happen. And it was really, at the time, I feel like my work, my marketing now is a lot more um, strategic. It was a lot more like spaghetti against the wall kind of thing of like, I'm just going to throw so much work out there that something is bound to happen. And so it was really, you know, that was the beginning of it. It was just like, I'm going to will myself back into the graces of getting illustration work. Um, and yeah. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. <clears throat> so, so you're just putting it out online. What were you yeah. using? What were you Tumblr putting? Tumblr is what I was using. Uh, and I was, so. And at, people that are at ad, ad agencies and stuff like that are following the stuff on Tumblr? Yeah. So, um, so, all right. So I started, um. In about, this was like 2009, 2010, I started listening to a lot of like marketing podcasts and, uh, and, and books like that and starting to get this, I, and trying to figure out how I'd done what I did. So a lot of like what I did came off the back of uh, the Indie Rock Coloring Book, which was like a lucky break right out of college. It was a college project initially, turned into a published book for Chronicle Books. And it was essentially, again, what, con what marketing would call content marketing. And it, it took me forever to figure out what it was I was doing. Um, but it was essentially making the work, um, giving away value for people's attention. And, and the value I'm giving away is the value that I want to be known for. And so I realized I want to make work like these characters. Um, I, I tried to be, I tried to come up with more authentic uh, work. So I dug into my childhood. Moomin was one of them you mentioned uh, before we started talking. Um, and I, I was just thought, I'm going to make a giant body of work and I'm going to give away this free character every weekday for a year. And it had a little write-up and it was meant to be free value of like something you could follow every day on your Tumblr. And it would just, you know, give you really um, the value was in feeling because it was like a very melancholy project. Uh, it was meant to make you feel something. And so every day, if you followed me on Tumblr, you'd get this free character and um, that would be trading you for attention. And so, uh, and, and then also, last, well, one other thing I want to say, one of my marketing concepts is the Forrest Gump effect, which is if you go on a jog, nobody cares. Nobody cares about you going on a jog. But if you jog to the other side of the country, someone will ask you why. Someone will notice what you're doing. And so part of the Nod project was just the Forrest Gump thing. It's like, if I make 260 of these and I don't miss a day, someone's going to notice this. 
Um, and so I was, you know, I'd already had a, a handful of people following me from the work that I've been doing. Um, and, you know, I think it must have been like, you know, like a day, 150 or something where Tumblr radar featured it. Uh, so, you know, it was every day, like two or three notes, one or two notes on each, you know, one comment on each piece. And then like 150 days in, uh, they got picked up and had like 8,000 notes. And so that was just, you know, it just kind of grew just through giving away value and people sharing it, reblogging it. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks to Andy for stopping by and being the engaging, thoughtful, and funny guy that he is. While it wasn't an official creative pep talk, our hope is that you got as much out of Andy's story as we did. And if you want more, be sure to check out our next podcast that will continue our conversation with Andy. To hear more podcasts or read our posts that are meant to nudge the dreamer in all of us to become the doer we were all meant to be, visit us at joyventure.net. And if you're discovering or developing your joy, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, remember, never stop discovering. Thanks for listening.